Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What is the Malik messenger in this verse going to do? Prepare the way before the Lord. Who in this verse, who will suddenly appear in his temple, who is the Lord said to be? He's said to be the messenger again. And that's the word Malik also. See, the Lord is identified as the messenger also, as the Moloch. So what we've seen in this verse is how the word Moloch refers to the purpose and not the person. See, the purpose is messenger. The person is that person, and that can be an angel, that can be an ambassador, that can be the Lord himself. This is where Hebrew can be so frustrating for our Greek-based English-thinking minds. Because, you see, with our Greek-based English-thinking minds, we want absolute identification. But the Middle Eastern Hebrew language is not absolute in its meaning. Context has to be looked into. Thought has to be put into it. So with our Greek-based English-thinking minds, we want out, when we see Malik translated as angel, well, okay, oh, I got it, I see it. It's somebody who is all dressed in white robes, has got wings, a halo, he's flying around. Woo, and that's the angel, right? And we say, it's an angel, I got it. But Malik is not referring to a person. It's referring to a purpose of the person, which is a messenger who's to be sent. See, the word Messiah also refers to the purpose he's being sent. So we understand from Malachi 3.1 how Malachi can refer to the Lord himself. See, that's why I've got the new friendship with God Bible here. And that's why in this Bible, we identified each of the 105 most commonly used Hebrew words, root words, as they appear in the Bible, so that as you read and you study them, you can easily see where they are without knowing Hebrew. So in our Genesis 24 chapter, when Abraham told Eliezer in verse 7, the Lord would send his Malach before thee, we've seen from Malachi 3.1 that that Malach can be God himself. In fact, let's think of him, that Malach that Abraham is referring to here is God himself. So Eliezer is relying on God himself to help him. And Eliezer repeated that he was remembering Abraham's guidance to rely on God himself to help him. When in verse 40, you notice it says in verse 40 of Genesis 24, he said unto me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his Moloch angel before thee, with thee. Now, I want you to see how Eliezer understood what Abraham was saying when he said these to him. See, in verse 7, look back on Genesis 24. Verse 7, where did Abraham say God would send his Moloch? I'll send it before, right? See how it says there? He shall send his angel before thee. He shall send his Moloch before thee. Before thee, 
as it is in the Hebrew, before thee is the word penaim. It's a before your face. Don't think of in your face, but before your face. <laughs> okay. It's not like, you know, Balak here. They're going to put it in your face. But before your face. Now, here's the question. But when Eliezer, who heard Abraham say, I'm going to send the angel before you, I'm going to send Malach before you, when Eliezer is explaining this to Rebekah's family, what Abraham said, where did Eliezer say Abraham said God would send his Moloch? Look carefully at verse 40. With him, see, with him. See, that's what he said. He said unto me, the Lord before whom, see, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, the Lord before whom I walk will send his Moloch before me, which is what it says in verse seven. Doesn't say that. Eliezer changes it now, and he says, the Lord before whom I walk will send his Moloch with thee. So it's not the same in our English translations, the before and with, which is accurately is, is showing two different things before. It's not the same in Hebrew either, the before and with. So Eliezer understood that his greatest help was going to be with God with him or God in him. And what Eliezer as a believer understood and said, it's the key for us as believers to find the greatest help in our lives, God himself in the believer. See, for us as believers to understand that God is in us and to rely on God's presence in us is the greatest help that we have in life. That's what Paul was emphasizing when he said in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, what, he says, he's in shock, Paul, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. See, the tabernacle and the temple had these three areas, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And it was in that last part of the holy of holies where the Lord dwelt above the mercy seat or the lid of the ark. So when the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament, was translated into Greek, it was called the Septuagint. And when the Greek New Testament quotes the Old Testament verses, it quotes from the Greek Septuagint. Of course, it's very convenient. It's already been translated into Greek. So when Paul said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, the word that Paul used for temple is the same word as the Greek Septuagint used for the Holy of Holies. So what Paul has literally said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what, know you not that your body is the holy of holies of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? So when you study the tabernacle or you come to the Creation Museum and you see the tabernacle and you see the holy of holies where God dwells, just think that God says your body is the holy of holies where God dwells. That's the greatest revelation that Paul received in his life that he couldn't get over and it should be with the same with us. Just a stunning, astounding revelation that he spoke about in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, when it says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might do the impossible, preach him among the heathen, immediately I confer not with flesh and blood. See, it was astounding for Paul when he realized when the revelation came to him that God's son was in him in the person of the Spirit of God's Son and the Holy Spirit. See, Paul's life was changed when he saw that his body was the Holy of Holies. And it should be the same astounding thing in our lives when it's for us as believers when we realize that God's Son is in us and we are the Holy of Holies and God's Son is in us in the Spirit of God's Son, the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit.
And it was the most astounding thing for Eliezer as he thought about this and realized, before me, with me, in me, he realized he's got God. And just as we understand that God goes before us, God is with us, God is in us, Eliezer takes Abraham's words of Malak before him. And then he said, Abraham meant Malak with me. He understood Malak in me. Continuing now with Eliezer's journey, and just everything has just gone so well for Eliezer. Oh, it's so perfect. It's so nice. I mean, he prays his prayer. He lays out his proposal to God. And before he's even finished, on the scene comes the woman who exceeds his expectations. Everything is going to plan. Oh, it's so good. You know, he's got his checklist, verse 15. She's from Abraham's people. Verse 16, she is drop-dead gorgeous. She's a virgin. Verse 19 through 22, she passes the camel test. And verse 25, she invites Eliezer and his caravan to stay at her house. So at the end of verse 25, Eliezer's feeling pretty good. And he's about ready to put up the old banner, mission accomplished on his trip. Everything has gone perfectly for Eliezer. And so, in verse 26, he says, it says that Eliezer bows down his head. And as he does that, we can see Eliezer thinking how everything has gone so smoothly. I'm on my easy coast to the finish line now. So that's Eliezer's mind frame. And everything has gone very smoothly until he reaches verse 29. And then, boom, Rebecca had a brother. Oh no, (laughs) Rebecca's got a brother, the giant boom. His name is Laban. And with that statement, Rebecca had a brother, is this huge obstacle that just appears on the scene. Rebecca had a brother. Eliezer hadn't anticipated that. He hadn't thought of that. He didn't say to Abraham, now what if the damsel has a brother that turns out to be a real snake? (laughs) You know, then what do I do, you know? And so now he's on his own. He's got the brother factor to deal with. And so these words in verse 29, and Rebecca had a brother, they mean so much to us because when everything for us in life has gone so smoothly and we think we're on the home stretch and then all of a sudden we're hit with our verse 29s in our life and Rebecca had a brother, boom, the unexpected brother problem, the brother factor. And now we have to again rely on God in us to solve the brother problem. And so we see in verse 29 that the brother has a name, it's Laban. Now, um, what word is used in verse 29 to describe how Laban came to Eliezer? He ran, he ran. So suddenly, Eliezer sees this brother Laban running out to meet him. And Eliezer thinks to himself, boy, I just saw Rebecca running with the water with the camels. And now I see the brother. I said, running must run in this family. <laughs> it's a family of runners. When Laban comes running out to him, Eliezer feels like, why do I feel like I'm in a web and the spider is rushing out to me? <laughs> you know, because when Laban comes, I feel this way. Somehow I feel caught, you know. And so I like you to look at verse 30, and tell me the two verbs that describe what Laban did. Tell me the two verbs that describe what Laban did in verse 30. Two words, two verbs. Saw and heard, saw and heard. Which one comes first? Saw, he saw, then comes heard. Now, the reason that saw comes first before heard is because we are being directed to see what Laban is fixated on. And Laban sees the gold. He sees the gold earrings. He sewed the gold bracelet. And this man is a focused man. (laughs) And Laban sees this jewelry 
he doesn't hear anything. He hears nothing. He just sees the treasures, and he immediately he's thinking, how can I get those treasures that Eliezer has? He's devising his plan. Then he hears what Rebecca has to say happen. It's very important for us to see this because it's revealing to us the character trait in Laban. And what sin is Laban overcome with? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And how would you describe covetousness? What definition would you give to covetousness? Yeah, that's it. You want something that doesn't belong to you. That's covetousness. That's what God said in Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. In other words, you shall not want it. You shall not say, I need it. You shall not say, I must have it. You don't do that. Well, Laban looked at the jewelry that Rebekah had, and he thought to himself, He's got to have more, (laughs) and I want it, and I need it, and I must have it. That's covetousness. So he spreads out the big feast, and Eliezer, he feels, you know, like he's in a trap, he's in the web, and the spiders didn't live, and big feast is set out before him, but in verse 33, he said, I'm not eating until I tell my errand. Now, actually, that was rude, because the proper custom in the Middle East at that time was that you let the host show hospitality to you first before you say anything about the business that you're there, and then after the hospitality, then you tell your business. So what Eliezer did here was against custom when he said, like we would say, you know, let's get right down to business, eat later. That's not the way you do it. But Eliezer has evidently gotten Laban's number. He said he's gotten his number, and he knows where he is. He sees the covetousness in him. He sees it coming on strong, and he knows that I got the brother factor now to deal with. And, and so Eliezer's men, they might have said, we're so hungry, why can't we eat first? You know, And then you go to your business later. But not faithfully Eliezer. No, he's on a mission. He will not be distracted by food and entertainment. So notice the last two words in verse 33, which are speak on. See? Verse 33, speak on. So Eliezer is now, from this point, speaking on, or what we would call making a speech. Actually, this is a matter of fact, this is the first speech in the Bible. And it's an important speech for us, because as we've seen, Eliezer is symbolic of us as servants of our master, and so we want to see what does he say. And so the first thing he says in his speech, and it's very significant in verse 34, and he said, I am Abraham's servant. He starts out by setting the record straight by saying he's not there to talk about himself. He's there to talk about his master Abraham and his master's son Isaac. So that right there is a lesson for us. Like Eliezer, when we speak, we should be very clear that like Eliezer, our goal is not to talk about ourselves, but to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what John the Baptist did in John 1, 19-23 when it says this is the record of John. When the Jews and the priests and Levites from Jerusalem, they ask him, who are you? Who art thou? He confessed and I not, but confessed that I am not the Christ. They asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Or he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Then he said they unto, well, who are you? We may give an answer to him to send to, what sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one that cries in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Later on in John 3, 27 to 30, John answered and said, a man can 
can receive nothing except be given from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, and so forth. And then he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So in verse 34, when Eliezer says, I am Abraham's servant, right from the start, Eliezer is saying, don't put my name up on a big marquee because some important person, if you want to put a name up on a marquee, you put Abraham's name up there. I'm just a servant. So what Eliezer is saying in verse 34, I am Abraham's servant, Eliezer is saying, I'm not the message. Abraham and his son is the message. And in the same way, we need to be just like Eliezer and make it clear we don't want our name up on a marquee. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's name has got to go up there very clear. So he says in verse 34 that he's Abraham's servant. And it shows something about Eliezer. You know what it shows? He's proud to be Abraham's servant. He's happy to be Abraham's servant. Eliezer wants everybody to know, yeah, I am privileged, I am honored, and I'm happy to be known as Abraham's servant. That's the impact of verse 34. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. He's so happy to tell everyone he's Abraham's servant. Why did he say, first starting off in verse 34, I am Abraham's servant? Because he loved Abraham. You know, he didn't have one thought in his mind of usurping Abraham or stealing Abraham's glory, but he just says in verse 34, I am Abraham's servant because he loved to serve Abraham. And he wanted everybody to know that he loved to serve Abraham. So he says, I am Abraham's servant. That's the impact of verse 34 for us. Like Eliezer, we love our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love to say, I am the Lord Jesus Christ's servant. Paul loved his master the Lord Jesus Christ. And like Eliezer, he starts off his book in Romans by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He starts off his book to Titus, Paul, a servant of God. So just as Eliezer, in verse 34, loved to introduce himself, I love to tell you I'm Abraham's servant. That's the first thing he said. And how long did it take for Paul to reveal in the book of Romans that he was the Lord Jesus Christ's servant. (laughs) One verse. (laughs) That was the first thing he said in verse one. And for someone you meet for the first time, how long does it take for you to reveal that you are the Lord Jesus Christ's servant? I mean, think right now. Is there anyone that you know right now that still does not know that you are the Lord Jesus Christ's servant? Is there anyone in your family that still does not know that you are the Lord Jesus Christ's servant? Is there anyone at your work that still doesn't know that you are the Lord Jesus Christ's servant? Is there any friends that you have that still don't know that you are the Lord Jesus Christ's servant? It shouldn't be. It should not be. God has not called us into his secret service. Like Eliezer, like Paul, God says, Put on the uniform, wear it proudly, wear it to show to others that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ like Eliezer and Paul. Tell everyone you meet as fast as you can that you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what do we see Eliezer doing next? Verse 35, he says, The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He's become great, given him flocks, herds, silver, gold, men, servants, maids, and so forth. So he's talking up the greatness of his master, Abraham, when he says, The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. He's speaking about Abraham's greatness here. He's happy to talk about Abraham's greatness. Notice how all that Eliezer is speaking about is the greatness of Abraham. Eliezer is now telling them why he's so happy to be Abraham's servant. He's a great man. 
And when you listen to Eliezer, you hear him talking about Abraham. What Eliezer did here is a lesson for us. How much do we talk about our master, the Lord Jesus Christ? When people listen to us, how much do they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ? When Rebecca's family heard Eliezer talk, they didn't hear Eliezer talk about himself. When people listen to us, do they hear us talk about ourselves? Or do they hear us like Eliezer talk about our master, the Lord Jesus Christ? And then in verse 35, he goes on and he says about the flocks and the herds and the silver and the gold. So here we see Eliezer going into great details about the greatness as he speaks about the flocks, the herds, the silver, the gold, and so forth. Eliezer starts off with a general statement in verse 35, Abraham's a great man. And then he goes on in verse 35 to explain in detail why he said Abraham is a great man. See, here again, Eliezer instructs us. When we say that our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is great, are we like Abraham able to go into detail and explain how the Lord Jesus Christ is great? Like Eliezer, are we able to go into detail about the greatness of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to explain he's great because all power has been given to him, as he said in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, all power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. Are we able to say he is great because he alone gives eternal life to men? As he said in John 17, 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He is great because everything that was made was made by him, as it says in John 1, 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's great because he's the exact revelation of the unseen God, as it says in Hebrews 1, 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. He's great because he, as God, became a man, as it says in John 1, 1, 14. 114. And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, so we could behold the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, this glory that was full of grace and truth. He's great because he was obedient to death, as it says in Philippians 2.8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He's great because he washed us individually as believers from our own individual sins in his own individual blood as it says in Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's great because he's prepared a place for us in John 14.2, as we memorized and rehearsed the verse last Friday night. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. He's great because no one is able to pluck us as believers out of his hand. John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Do we tell others in detail? Do we tell others this detail that Eliezer did? Do we go into detail about why we say the Lord Jesus Christ is great? Eliezer did. Eliezer did. So shouldn't we so much more? We have a much greater master. Then we've seen how he goes on in verse 36 and explains that Sarah, his master's son, bare a son to his master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. So now he's explaining this to Rebekah and her family, and of course this is to persuade Rebekah to come to be married to Isaac, and of course it's to persuade Rebekah's family to let Rebekah be married to Isaac. So again, we see much more in these words 
than just the words of Eliezer, but we see how God the Father has only one son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's given all that he has to him, as it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave the only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish. And Luke 10.22, the Lord Jesus Christ said, all things are delivered to me of my Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example that we've learned from this morning of Eliezer's faithfulness, his heart of love, and that you just couldn't keep him from talking. Help us to be like him for our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.